Hi, I'm Jack Brody, and welcome to Living at the 45. Today, my guest, I'm so excited, it's uh, not a tennis jock, it's great, with someone different, is Dr. Sydney Schindel. I don't know if it's doctor, if it's just Sydney Schindel. Just Sydney Schindel. Sometimes I get emails addressed as doctor, but I am not a doctor, just a certified nutritionist. That sounds great. Well, um, uh, welcome to the Living at the 45. I'm really happy to have you today, and uh, we've got a lot of tennis coaches and players and tennis nuts out there that I think would be very interested to hear about, you know, how nutrition could affect not only their tennis, but their life as well. So uh, thanks. Welcome to, welcome really to the show. Thank Good. you. Good deal. Well, let's start with, uh, I mean, there's, I, I have so many questions. I barely <laughs> know where to start. Um, you know, let's start with just general athleticism you know people that sweat a lot people that use mm. their limbs their elbows their knees their shoulders yeah. uh, a lot uh, you know and I, i've always thought you know the most important thing is hydration that's that's all i've really ever thought so let's start with that and and let me ask you uh, are there any tricks uh, are there any things people might not know about uh, about hydration is it something we should do before we get on the court or just mm. as we get thirsty you know, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that? And first of all, I know you're an athlete, right? You're a swimmer. Yes, I'm an artistic swimmer, formerly known as synchronized swimming. Right. And so right. the artistic aspects of the sport, even though we are in the water, we still sweat quite a bit. And the same principles apply of, of being hydrated, even though we're surrounded by water. <laughs> yeah, that is funny to me. But but you you literally sweat in the water, huh? Definitely. It's just for swimmers in general of any of any kind of water based sport. It's harder for us to notice that we're sweating as much because it gets washed away. Gross when you think about it, because your pool is, is full of sweat. But uh, we don't notice as athletes because we're sweating so much, but it's just literally being washed away. So it's harder for swimmers in particular to remember to remind themselves to rehydrate. Uh, I was just thinking that too. That is kind of gross. Everyone, you got about 12 swimmers in there, but you got the chlorine, I guess, or the salt water, I guess now yeah. some of the pools have salt water. Yeah. Just a little bit more potassium and sodium. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> right. I've always yeah. heard of those two, potassium, sodium, magnesium, yeah. I think. Definitely. And so when it comes to hydration, the first thing that most people think about is water. You know, I need to drink more water. And yeah. I've worked with athletes before. I work with, with athletes as well as the general public. And to be honest, most of the time, the people that I meet just in general don't drink enough water. And they'll say that they drink maybe one and a half liters of water, two liters of water a day. And they think that that's good. Um, or sometimes even less, I have some people who will be drinking maybe one to three cups of water a day and think that's great. Uh, so in general, hydration, first step, yes, is to increase water intake and make sure that you're getting enough water. But the thing is that water doesn't go to where it needs to go on its own. And so that's where we hear that term electrolytes. And electrolytes right. usually come in fancy, you know, bright blue beverages. Uh, but those actually have been proven to not be as hydrating as we once thought. Uh, it turns out they actually tend to dehydrate you because of just the extra additives. And uh, they're, they've just been marketed really well, to be honest. But in general, really? first, yeah, I know. It actually just came out in a study this year uh, showing that those uh, sports beverages 
um, we won't name names because I don't know if I can, um, are actually less hydrating than we once thought and can actually potentially lead to dehydration in some cases. So uh, we're learning now that different beverages have different abilities to actually rehydrate you. And we say rehydrate, it's not just chugging water to make sure that you've checked off your water intake for the day. We mean cellular hydration. So the water molecules actually getting into a cell where they need to be, because you do need them inside your cell. You need them inside your bloodstream. You kind of need water everywhere. And how that actually occurs is through a transaction. It's kind of like a, a nod. I, I, I'm really visual and like a nod between, you know, um, certain electrolytes saying, okay, let, let's exchange. And then we, we exchange that water from outside a cell and inside a cell. And that's where those electrolytes come in handy because of the positive and negative charges that they hold. Um, where where electrolytes go, water will kind of flow. So we need a mixture of those things. So to answer your first question, um, when it comes to when you should hydrate, it's literally all the time. And first thing in the morning is a good place to start because you quite literally are dehydrating yourselves overnight because you aren't drinking water you should be really? getting at least eight hours of sleep at least um, and during that time you're not you're not rehydrating right so you do need to make sure that that first thing you do in the morning is add in hydration and that can be in the form of you know 500 milliliters of water 16 ounces to get started and not just the water it's a good place to start but you also need the sodium the potassium the magnesium uh, a little bit of calcium in there too and the best way in my personal opinion is is to do it through like a mineral concentrate uh, not just the fancy tablets or not just a, a bright blue sports drink it should be a mixture of naturally occurring minerals and so trace mineral drops are a really good way to do that i use that with I've all heard my of those. athletes heard, i use those tablets so you're saying my wife getting me those tablets is big waste no, no, no. So those I tablets... drop those in a, in a, in a, in a thing of water, thermos of water, you know, and I bring that yeah. on the court with me and I always thought, okay, I'm doing a great job here. And it's better than nothing. But the thing is with minerals is that minerals are, are going to be bound to something. So um, this is where supplementation can take a, a more kind of complicated term. And I have clients who come in who are taking a supplement thinking that it's doing the best job, but if it's not in the right form, then we might not be absorbing as much of it, or we might not be able to actually activate it and convert it into the form that we need. And minerals are really interesting because they're, they're um, an inorganic substance. And what that means in kind of simple terms is that they literally don't change. They just become part of you. And then they will, once they leave you, they leave in the exact same form. We do not manipulate them. We actually will might bind proteins around them, but they stay as they are. It's super cool. Uh, so mm. when it comes to supplements, mm. you can find crappier versions or cheaper versions of minerals um, that are really easy to make in a lab, uh, but they're not easy for us to absorb and use. So when it comes to those tablets, I mean, don't get me wrong, those fizzy ones are delicious and I love them in the summer, uh, but a lot of the minerals that are in there are in their oxide forms and they're not in an active form that is easy for us to, um, to, to use and to actually actively kind of work with. So oxide minerals are usually less absorbed and tend to just pass right through us in comparison to, to different forms. So the concentrate drops are from naturally occurring ancient salt beds or kind of sea beds, and they're in a naturally occurring form. So they're easier for us to absorb. The other kind of bonus is that they're a lot cheaper than taking those tabs, because if you're using one of those every single day, I mean, it, it adds up quite quickly. It, it does. It does. Yeah. 
Um, so what's the one you like? I mean, we don't have to give them an advertisement here or a plug, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm curious as to what you think it would, might be the best for, I mean, I'm on the court this summer. I'll be uh, on the court, I'm sure, six, seven hours a day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what would be the best thing for me to start my day with and, and chug all day long? Uh, honestly, that first drink in the morning is great with uh, a mixture of just trace mineral drops. And if you look that up, it's just a concentrate mineral drops. And okay. that one gives you not just the electrolytes, but it also gives you a little bit of uh, a variety of trace minerals that we tend to not get in our diets on a daily basis anyways, just because of the way that farming works now. Right, um, right. So usually starting with 10 to 20 drops of that in the water um, is a good place to begin. And if you don't like the taste, because it, it does taste like aggressively flat mineral water is the best way I can put it. Um, okay. If you're not used to that taste and start slow and go with five drops and kind of continue onwards. But that with a squeeze of a lemon or a lime for the extra potassium, I find is quite helpful because most people, unless you're eating a super whole foods based diet, um, tend to get enough salt in a day, um, but you're not getting enough potassium. You're not getting enough magnesium just because of the way that our, our food supply works now. So adding in the extra potassium from the lemon or lime can be a good way to get that in. Um, and then we can chat about magnesium in supplement form later on as well. But in a nutshell, the hydration piece um, really begins in the morning. And then throughout the day, you do need to be kind of drinking on a consistent basis instead of just chugging, you know, two liters of water at once, because there's only so much that can cross the gradient, essentially, of like outside a cell to inside a cell at one time. And you need to make sure that those electrolytes are in there. So that was another question was sometimes I'll just chug water thinking, okay, I need to drink water. And I'll just, mm-hmm. even if I'm not that thirsty, I'll just chug a glass just like almost competitively. Yeah. And you're saying that's not necessarily as good as just drinking, uh, grazing all day on water. I think it depends on how much you're chugging at once. Cause I've had clients who will, you know, chug two, three liters in the course of an hour in an attempt to get their water in for the day. And that's definitely not going to be as efficient as, as making sure that you're kind of slowly dripping that water in um, throughout the day. But if you are preparing to, let's say, get on the court or go for a run or go for a training session, then you do need to do a little bit of water chugging before you begin because you want to head into that workout or that event hydrated. And so usually like an hour or two before hitting the court, you would want to hydrate with at least 500 mils of water and you can chug that quite quickly, uh, just making sure that it's in that hour to two hour mark. So it's not just sitting in your gut while you're, while you're training. Um, right. You don't want good... sloshing around either. Yeah. And then during the course of that workout, ideally you should be rehydrating with at least half a cup of water every 15 to 20 minutes if you can. And if that seems like a lot of water, then just start a bit slower. But to be honest, dehydration is a very common thing. And and the symptoms and the feelings of dehydration of seeing, you know, darker urine or feeling that dry feeling in your mouth um, are a sign that you are definitely dehydrated. And some of the earlier warning signs can be even things like feeling hungry because you're hunger cue is very similar to your thirst cue. And most people will obviously opt for food instead of water. (laughs) Huh? No, that's, I, I never heard of that. That's, that is interesting. You know, you touched on another thing when you said salt, salt has always been curious for me when I was a kid, you know, um, you know, back when we, uh, you know, before electricity, uh, we, uh, you know, 
my dad would have me take these two salt tablets when I was yeah. in the boys 12 and unders playing. He'd say, yeah, you know, you want to pop these salt tablets. And then, you know, like 10 years later, oh, that's the worst thing you can do. You know, I mean, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. No salt at all. You know, cut it out of your diet. What is the deal? Yeah. with? Because I know when you sweat, I know what it tastes like. It tastes like salt. Yeah. So I'm assuming you're losing salt. So tell me a little bit about the salt tablets. Was that a bad thing? Uh, I think everything know. needs to be in moderation because when when we think about um, you know most most recommendations these days, it's the extreme. It's like one or the other, and and that's all. But um, you're you're right to say that when you sweat, you taste salt because when your um, sebaceous glands, like when you start to sweat, um, where water goes electrolytes go so that's why your sweat tastes salty is because you are excreting sodium potassium magnesium um, calcium all these things will come where the water goes and as a result you do need to replenish that so i mean a salt tablet depending on how much was in that salt you might be getting a pretty heavy hit but i find a lot of people are on the opposite trend these days where they're so worried about adding salt to their food because they've been told that this is going to be um, you know bad for your heart or this is going to cause hypertension Uh, but for the average person in particular for athletes you do need to be ensuring that you are replenishing you know your, your salt stores so for example um, just to give you an idea of of kind of how much um, of these things that you need in a day, sodium you do need in the form of salt because sodium chloride is is what salt is. Um, you need about twenty three hundred milligrams of salt every single day or sodium every single day. And so if you are like a whole foods based athlete, you're really conscious of the food that you're eating. You're not eating out. You're making all your own food at home. Chances are you might actually be a little bit under that because most natural whole food doesn't have a lot of salt in it. So that could be something to consider. But the bigger one that I find is potassium and potassium. We need way more potassium than we do sodium. We actually need about 35 100 milligrams to 4,700 milligrams daily of potassium. And that's found in, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And to get that through whole food is a lot of work. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, it's found in things like spinach and yams and avocados and bananas and lemons and limes and even pears have, have uh, potassium in them. You can find it in higher amounts in certain herbs as well. There's a couple of herbs that have potassium in it, but you have to actively work to do that. So um, I do find that when it comes to the the kind of mineral piece, in particular for whole foods-based athletes or whole foods-based people, um, we tend to kind of not hit some of those marks. And then that can lead to a little bit of an electrolyte imbalance. And in particular, that combined with you know calcium um, deficiencies, you end up with cramping, you end up with headaches, you end up with... Um, yeah, mostly muscle cramping is what I find. And that can be something that commonly comes up in hands and feet, but for different athletes, it shows up in different areas. So really trying to to find those through food and then also adding in the electrolytes on top or working with supplementation as as needed and as directed by someone who can guide you through that. And when you say electrolytes, you mean those trace minerals? So the trace minerals, yes, are a good source of of those electrolytes and you'll get them in a smaller uh, amount. It won't be, you're not going to, you know, drop 10 drops of of 
those minerals into your water and get, you know, 2,300 milligrams of sodium or 4,000 milligrams of potassium. It's just a very small amount um, to just ensure that you're checking at least some of those boxes throughout the day. And I do find that that added to water, you do feel more hydrated in, instead of just drinking the water on its own. And then obviously working to get that through food. Yeah, well, you know, us tennis players, bananas are always a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. We always have a couple of those in the bag ready to go uh, after, you know, a set or two. Uh, bananas are a big deal. Uh, I know when I was in college, this is probably the worst thing I could do. A lot of people would eat things like Snickers bars just to get that jolt. That's probably not something you recommend, I'm guessing. I mean, in in the moment, like in that- I mean, it's got peanuts. It's got peanuts. I mean, <laughs> peanuts don't count for much. Everyone says they have protein in them, but there's, there's barely any protein in a peanut. Is um, that right? Oh yeah, okay. no, it's, and in that middle of a, of a set like that, I mean, for it's the- It's terrible. Of, I got a big bag of Costco peanuts. Are they any good for, and they're not salted. Are they any good for me at all or just- Oh, not really? my not not the nut of choice. No, um, peanuts are are definitely not high on my list as far as recommendations um, for okay. a variety of different reasons. <laughs> um, but the Snickers bar, I mean, it, it, in theory, it makes sense because you have a little bit, or you have quite a bit of sugar in there, which is what you need in the middle of of a more endurance style event like you know playing tennis. Um, but there's other ways to do it if you wanted to do it more holistically and more naturally. Uh, bananas make sense because you do get about 30 grams of carbohydrates in there. And in that intra-workout kind of piece, having easy-to-access carbohydrates is, is very helpful. Um, and then you also get, yes, a little bit of the minerals in there in comparison to a Snickers bar where you're getting some sugar, uh, but you don't get any any mineral benefits or any other benefits from it. And in the end, I mean, that's probably going to promote more inflammation, uh, which we don't want as tennis players. Um, and in particular, what you mentioned about hydration, um, it's important for also helping to reduce inflammation, right? Because that's a huge part of, of the sport is making sure that you're keeping your um, inflammation levels in, in a balanced state. So there's enough there I've to help you I've never heard repair. of that before, inflammation. Yeah. What's the deal with that? I've, I've never heard of that. Inflammation is like a, it's it's having its heyday right now. It's the root cause of everything. It causes, um, to quote Mark Marin, it causes everything else. It's the root cause of everything. It causes all the other bad things things. Um, but inflammation is a natural part of, of being human. Uh, we have these innate kind of built-in mechanisms to help us heal. So when we experience, let's say, um, let's say we experience a little bit of muscle strain, um, we will actually be able to activate um, signals to tell the rest of our body, wherever that muscle strain has, has occurred, hey, um, we need some help. Can you come and bring in a little bit of inflammation? And that helps to actually dilate blood vessels. It helps to bring uh, a kind of anti-inflammatory molecules there. It helps to bring in uh, different immune cells to mop up any damage or kind of torn tissue and, and start a healing process. And that's a natural part of being human is having inflammatory signals to help clean up damage. And this is something that happens when you get a scrape or you, you know, twist an ankle. And that's a normal, normal thing um, that, that occurs. But if we are not giving our body the nutrients that it needs to basically keep the inflammation in check, or if we're not getting enough water in to actually help um, kind of flush out tissue, then we can end up in a state where we're more inflamed. And that can show up in different ways for different people. Uh, but in sport, it typically shows up as um, 
and this is in conjunction with other things I just need to mention, um, you know, longer time to heal. So prolonged kind of um, DOMS is another one for that. Nobody exactly knows what causes DOMS, but inflammation is, is definitely part of that. Um, longer time to to kind of bounce back and to, to heal after an injury or to just get back to, to being at baseline for yourself. Um, we can see more pain, more aches in particular in the joints. And I mean, tennis is really well known, uh, well known for having those aches and pains and inflammation is going to be at the root cause of that. That's right. You know, I have a client right now. Um, he he's just taking up tennis, and mm. so it's 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 new muscles he's working on. Yeah. And you know, he's got that bump on his elbow mm. and a little bursitis, right? Yeah. And that's that's inflammation of the bursa. I know. And mm -hmm. and and basically, you know, the hopefully I'm giving him the right advice. Lay off number one. Take some ibuprofen, right? Do you want to bring the inflammation down, or is there something better than ibuprofen? Oh. I'm so happy that you mentioned that. So, um, and of yeah. course, ice, of course, ice. Yeah. yeah and, and there's so many, uh, when it comes to inflammation, back to that idea of, you know, um, stopping, stopping play or stopping training for that. That's kind of why inflammation causes that redness and that smelling and that heat, because it tells us that we shouldn't use that area. Like there's imagine caution tape or like around a construction zone being like, mm, don't go here. We're trying to fix this and we're trying to repair mm -hmm. it. Um, so there's, there's definitely that aspect to it of, of slowing down and, and, and taking the time that you need, but there's new research showing that you do actually want to, um, not stop using it all together. You, you still want to have a little bit of range of motion going through, um, that tissue, because that's also going to help replenish, um, nutrients to that area, right? Because uh, joints in particular, they're, we, we need movement to get nutrients to those, those places. So a little bit of movement is okay. But obviously, if it's repetitive motion um, under that same stress, it's, it's not going to heal. Um, so that's something to take note of. And then there's is, kind of, oh, go ahead. Is that, is that why, I mean, I told him to self-massage, like for just, is that mm -hmm. the kind of motion you're talking about? Just moving it with your other yeah. hand? And, and, and even actually just moving moving it as well, just on, on your own and just kind of making sure that you're not completely stopping that, that movement, unless obviously there's extreme pain through it. Um, but you do want to make sure there's a little bit of movement going on there just to make sure that the lymphatic kind of drainage happens and you have movement of your, your tissue um, to make sure that those, like, it, imagine if you had a construction zone and the workers couldn't get there, right? Because there was a traffic jam or because the road was stopped. I mean, it's the same principle. You need to make sure that there's, there's good movement going there in the first place. Um, so that would be something to consider. And then the other part is with um, heat versus ice. I mean, there, there's two camps to that of saying like ice versus heat. Yes. Um, with I, uh, most of the time now, they kind of just have decided that whatever feels most comfortable to you is best. But if we think about that inflammation, it's a natural inherent thing that happens in the human body. So you don't want to like completely let it um, dampen because that inflammatory process is part of the healing process. So we do need to encourage a little bit of inflammation to heal, but obviously not let it get out of hand because that's painful. And depending on what type of inflammation is going on, I mean, we don't want there to be too much. So sometimes a little bit of ice, but you can also try a, like a, a hot compress as well, because that can also be quite, um, quite helpful and, and healing depending on what the person enjoys. But that ice will kind of um, help to constrict blood vessels, whereas that heat pack will actually open up blood vessels and allow for those um, those molecules to kind of get there. And so I find like a nice 
um, those bean bags that you can put in the microwave or yeah, having yeah, like a yeah. hot compress, those can also be really useful too. Yeah. Um, I noticed you stayed away from. Uh, I noticed you stayed away from the ibuprofen. Yeah. You just left that ago. That's my next go. part. Oh, okay. Oh no, no, that was work. We're coming. To I figure you guys don't like ibuprofen, but we, we tennis players we kind of live I, off that stuff sometimes. You know what I mean? Yes, and my suggestion would be to introduce you to um, more natural anti-inflammatories because things like uh, ibuprofen, things like those over-the-counter painkillers, um, they will blunt pain, and they will certain some of them will actually act on the pathway in the human body that basically blocks your body's ability to make inflammatory molecules. And while that sounds really good in theory, um, there's downsides to that because remember that inflammatory pathway is helpful. It's trying to, to heal that area. So if you're constantly blocking that pathway from, from creating those molecules, then you're not going to be healing. You're just wanting the pain and you're just reducing that inflammation in, in the interim. So the goal would be to find a way to kind of reduce some of that inflammation and reduce some of that pain, but also support healing. So there are natural ways to do this. And I've worked with, um, pickleballers i've worked with um crossfit athletes i've worked with with people who are active and exercising and experiencing joint pain they're experiencing inflammation from exercise and you want to try and encourage healing while also helping to reduce inflammation because i mean exercise in general does does make a little bit more inflammation so um there are things that you can work with like curcumin um so curcumin is the active form of turmeric um, and it would be really helpful. Um, and I'm sure you probably have heard of this before. I have some turmeric in a chewable form. And, okay. Uh, I don't know. It's, it seems like it's got a lot of sugar. I actually don't even like to chew it. It's got a lot of sugar, like other nutrient things they try to disguise with sugar. So it kind of <laughs> bugs me. I don't eat it that much. Yeah. Because it really, I mean, it actually has granules of sugar all over oh, it. Yeah. And ideally, you don't want to be eating more sugar, especially when you have inflammation, because sugar actually increases inflammation in the body. Um, so you do want to try and find that in a very potent capsule-based form. So turmeric itself, eating the root won't really help you in that um, acute form of inflammation. But if you take a very high dose bioavailable source of curcumin, and there are you know many brands that do that in Canada and beyond, you just have to look for a good quality one um, that has a very high amount of, of curcumin, not turmeric. Um, right. It actually acts in the same or similar way to an ibuprofen and it will help to calm inflammation, but without blocking that pathway completely and without um, stopping the process of um, kind of the healing, the healing parts that are kind of going on in that. So working with high dose curcumin um, just in general for athletes is one of my favorite things to use because you can actually pop those acutely in a, a larger dose and notice within a few hours that you feel less pain. And as far as daily um, kind of preventative you can use it at a lower dose to help just manage inflammation and what it, would be a higher what would be a higher and a lower dose just so i have an idea um this is where it gets a bit tricky because it will depend on which brand or what kind of what kind of company you're you're working with um but in general you want to find one that has um, either a liposomal form of, of glutathione, I'm going to say glutathione, of curcumin, uh, which means that it's kind of surrounded by fat. 
um, or like lipids and um, they don't get used as fat. They're just kind of a carrier molecule um, or you can find it. And then dosage, I actually will have to remember off the top of my head here. Give me one second. Um, yeah, with this one, you want to find um, it really, to be honest, depends so much on the brand because um, how they've extracted it will make a big difference. And I think one of the things that I'll, I'll mention as I'm just looking up this number for myself here is um, don't fall victim to the one that has the black pepper activation in it. Um, you should be able to find a very high quality curcumin that does not need black pepper to activate it. And that's kind of like a, a lower a lower grade of, of um, curcumin that yes, black pepper enhances its availability, but you can find better extracted versions that do not rely on that. So usually you start off with like a lower dose of about like 200 milligrams daily, but you can work upwards of that. And it really will just depend on the type of brand that you're, you're working with. Um, Is it like vitamin C where, you know, when you're feeling sick or something, you take like 3000 milligrams and on a regular daily basis, maybe 500, that type of thing? Yes. And so the dosing um, will, won't be as high as as uh, vitamin C because vi vitamin C you can take to what's called bowel tolerance. So basically like you, you'll know when you've taken enough vitamin C, like your body will say like, oh, we don't need any more. Uh, but with curcumin, it's a little bit different. Um, the the dosage, you won't kind of find your, your top amount per se. Um, the only thing that can happen is when you take a lot of it, um, it can mildly thin your blood, like very, very, very mildly. So you just don't want to take it around surgical procedures just as a precaution. Oh. Um, but just kind of as I'm looking through some of the brands that I'm, I usually recommend, even the two that I like to work with have very different dosing because their extraction methods are so different. So for example, um, one of the ones that I love to work with is a 60 to one curcumin extract that provides the equivalent of about um, 2,500 milligrams of dried herb, but it's in a very concentrated dose. So when you look at the actual amount of the extract of curcumin, it's only 42 milligrams per capsule. And so with that one, I tend to dose out usually like four to six capsules a day when someone's extremely inflamed or just for general inflammation, it's one to two. And then another brand that I like to work with is um, their extracting is different. So when we look at their dosing, it's 120 milligrams in a capsule. And I usually work right. with that one um, usually one to two times a day because theirs is very, very um, potent. And, and those you just suggest a couple capsules. Yeah, usually one one to two a day for the average person. But so it sounds like if on a high dose would be around four or five hundred milligrams. Yeah, yeah, that's usually a pretty high dose of of curcumin when you get it at that good quality form, and you will notice a big difference um, in, in inflammation that way. And that's just one pathway. There's many pathways in the body that that promote and manage inflammation. The other one is your your omega threes versus omega sixes. So I find this one really helpful with nutrition, um, just in general to, to manage this mostly through the food that you eat, because we have, I think everyone's heard of omega threes at this point, but we have many omega threes and many omega sixes, and they should kind of be in balance because your omega threes um, are very good at calming inflammation and reducing inflammation. Whereas your omega-6s, some of them can help to reduce inflammation and they're really good for skin health. Others promote inflammation. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because we do need to have a little bit of that in our diet. But the thing is that 
in today's day and age, we tend to see very little omega-3 in the diet because we find that um, in things like well, the active forms in fish, right? So we find it in fatty fish. I was going to say, isn't omega-3, isn't that a vitamin E or D or something? No. So omega-3 is different. D, D, D. Um, Nope. It's actually its own thing. So we have... Um, vitamin A and D and E and all these different things that come in, in their own form, but omega threes are actually a completely separate thing. They're a type of fatty acid, um, but it's they're still considered essential because we don't. Some of them we cannot make. Um, we cannot make certain omega threes unless we have the kind of first one or the one that's found in things like flax and chia, but we can also find other omega-3s that are very potent at reducing inflammation in things like fatty fish. So that's where we find it in the salmon, we find it in, you know, mackerel anchovies, et cetera. And that one in particular, um, it's huge in the supplement industry for just cheating people out of, of what they should be taking because they'll buy a thousand milligrams of fish oil thinking they're doing a good job but you really want to find the high amount of EPA and EPA just stands for eicosapentaenoic acid. And it's a a very potent form of omega-3 that reduces inflammation. In fact, this one has been studied um, to reduce pain acutely as well. And so this study was done more so for for females and it was for for menstrual cramps, but um, when taken acutely in a high dose of about I think the study was either 750 milligrams or, or 1200 milligrams of, of EPA. Um, they took that acutely and saw a reduction of period pain in a couple of hours. And so similar principles wow. can apply for inflammation in athletes as well, that if we don't have enough omega-3s, we will see more inflammation. And the diet that we see, like the general kind of North American diet is very high in omega-6 and not a lot of omega-3s kind of coming in. So you end up with just being more in a pro-inflammatory state because you have more of those molecules that are likely to become inflammatory molecules and less of the omega-3s that are also very helpful at reducing inflammation and quite literally act like an ibuprofen and block your body's ability to kind of um, turn on um, turn those molecules into inflammatory things. So that's things like your canola oil, your sunflower oil, your soybean oil, all those things that are found in everything um, are very high in omega-6s that can just bring that up. So you do want to try and find that in your diet, but but as a therapeutic- So where do you find omega-3 in your diet or do you have to just take the pills to go to a health food store and get some pills? You do find it in food. So there is a couple of different types of omega-3s and and the one that we deem as essential, meaning in in nutrition must have or die um, because we can't make it ourselves is ALA. And that one comes from flax and chia. Um, You'll find it in smaller amounts in nuts and seeds as well. But the caveat to that is that uh, for us to convert that ALA into its active EPA form that we use for reducing inflammation, um, if you have 100% of it um, in its ALA form, our body has to convert it through a whole bunch of different enzymatic reactions to get to EPA, and 4% of that turns into EPA. So um, it is helpful to eat it in your diet, obviously, like your flax and chia, but you can find- I, I, I think EPA. I missed it. What is it again we were eating? Uh... Yeah. So your ALA is the the one that is considered essential, meaning that we can't make this. We have to eat it in our diet. Um, right. And it, it's found in flax and chia. Um, but what to, is that? Well, those are little seeds, right? So your flax seeds and your chia oh, seeds. Oh, flax, flax yeah. seeds. Yes, yes. I've seen that. I've seen that. Yeah. So you're saying flax seeds are really good for you. So they're they're good for you in other ways too. I find that that wouldn't be my my way of recommending high amounts of omega-3s just because you'd have to eat a lot of them. 
Um, but they're also really useful as soluble fiber. So for gut health, for motility of your gut, all of that is really helpful. Um, but what I was trying to build up to is that um, for us to take those flax and chia seeds, which a lot of people will start with and say, okay, I'm getting my omega-3s, um, to convert that into the active form that I was talking about that works kind of like nature's Advil, um, is that uh, you only convert 4% of that to that EPA molecule I was talking about. So it's better to find it in fish like salmon, wild salmon, anchovies, okay. sardines, if you can, and even things like cod liver, cod liver oil. Um, but once again, that's not going to be a therapeutic dose. So that would be just more so for general um, general maintenance to make sure that you're kind of balancing out your omega, omega 3s and 6s. But for a therapeutic dose, you would want to turn to a high quality molecularly distilled fish oil. And so this is basically bypassing the drugstore brands uh, and going to a you know clinical line, asking someone to show you the quality versions of that, because otherwise you'll just be getting a very low quality product that won't be doing what you want it to do. Right. Well, I've always heard cod liver oil is very good for you. And for a while I was taking oh, yeah. cod liver oil. I was a hippie, you know, for about 20 to 40 and uh, and I was, yeah, I was doing the flax seeds. They're tiny little things, you know, really tiny. tiny. Yeah. yeah, and I was doing that. I was doing a, a, a tea, tablespoon of cod liver oil every morning. Mm -hmm. And I was big on smoothies. You know, I had my almond butter and I threw everything in a smoothie. I'm guessing you're a big smoothie fan. You probably start with those every day, right? I think it depends on the person and the time of year. I find in the winter, smoothies are definitely not my my jam because it's just too cold. And um, I know, coffee's nicer. Yeah, and smoothies are, are definitely a useful full thing to add, and especially when people um, are first starting out with their journey of, of trying to figure out how to add more protein into their diet. I think that's a, a useful way of getting that in and also getting in a variety of fruits and veggies that you can hide in there. I mean, you can hide cauliflower and zucchini and spinach and all of that in a great smoothie, but um, I think they're more, for me at least, more of a summer or springtime thing because in the winter- yeah, me too. Just too cold. <laughs> yeah, me too. Hey, you know now. Yeah, I, I'm not going to get to even half my questions today. We'll have to do a part two sometime. Okay, sounds good. Uh, but you know, let me ask a couple of ones now that we're venturing off into coffee. Uh, <laughs> my uh, holistic doctor, who, who I have, um, she has me take uh, not glucose. Uh, you said it earlier, not glucosamine. What was it? Glutathione. Uh, yes, glutathione mm -hmm. in the mornings because she says, well, if you're going to have a few cocktails in the evening, you should take glutathione in the morning. So I mm. take, I basically take one every day because I almost always have a beer or a glass of wine in the evening, you know, with our dinner and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so where do you stand on it? Let me ask you a couple of things from just a dude, you know, forget the tennis for a second. Okay. Just a regular guy who likes to come home and have a beer or a glass of wine or a shot of bourbon and, you know, carry on. Um, number one, how bad are the alcohols for you? Number two, Talk about carbs. How bad? Because I like crackers and cheese. And, you know, and I've been trying lately. My wife just doesn't go for it. I mean, I'll try to substitute like almonds and walnuts. And it just doesn't go with wine nearly as good as bread and crackers and cheese. So where do you stand on the great carb debate? And oh the cheese, let's, let's get into cheese too. <laughs> there are so many questions there. Are you sure you want to know my answers? Yeah, I know. Um, but see if you can homogenize it down a bit. <laughs> By the way, you'd be proud of me. I'm drinking my pomegranate juice uh, with milk mixed with water and lemon 
Nice. So in your honor. That's so. super refreshing. Thank you. Yeah, it is. Um, there's, yeah, there's lots of questions to, to unravel there. Um, but the first one with alcohol, oof, um, there's been, I know that if you're in Canada, there's been some updated regulations or kind of suggestions uh, in Canada based on the last 10 years of research. Um, just pointing that, you know, alcohol uh, is not great for us. We kind of all already knew that, I'm pretty sure. Um, but the detrimental effects of alcohol do happen a little bit sooner than people thought because the the older recommendations were to have, you know, um, one to two glasses a day was fine. It was kind of healthy at that threshold. Uh, but we're now learning that that's not the case. And I, I think they held off on this research of, of publishing it for a while because they were really worried. It's been about a great that. show. <laughs> it's been a great show. Nice talking with you. Nice to talk you to know? you, right? Um, you're the hard, the putting day, the harsh on my mellow here. Know, you're ra- you're raining on my parade. <laughs> I know. But if you think about it from, from the point of view that like the feeling that you feel when you have a glass of, of, of beer or like a, you have a cocktail, that feeling of you know lightheadedness and kind of good feeling is technically like it's, it's intoxication right that's the literal term so your your liver is working hard to try and process that and other parts of your body are also trying to process that so in a nutshell um alcohol definitely does put stress on the body because it is technically a, a toxin of sorts um your body has to deal with that so the idea of taking the glutathione is is to kind of quelch some of the damage or the inflammation. That's what she told me. Yeah. And so ideally um, not doing that every day would be something that would be ideal, but I mean, everyone has their, their, their low hanging fruit of what they want to change and what they want to, to work with. So when you are drinking, the best thing is yes, hydration, lots of antioxidants, but once again, that's not going to um, even it out per se, it's just going to help a little bit in that. Um, so that would be kind of my answer in a nutshell. So you don't just click stop on this recording at the moment. Okay. You sound like a real uh, hoot to be with on a Friday night or a Saturday hey, night. <laughs> I love me a good cocktail. I love a good glass of wine, uh, but it's definitely not something I do on a daily basis. Just knowing everything that I know. Um, it, it's something that I, I do treat more as a, a treat now and something to enjoy. Um and and kind of savor in and in particular with like the beer and hard alcohol in particular um wine once again we still know that there's no great amount um wine's a little bit different but we'll we'll chat about that another day yeah um, and you and you put wine and and you put beer and and cocktails hard alcohol in the same yeah. breath i would have thought you put beer and wine in the same breath beer for a different reason so the hard alcohol yes it's definitely going to be a little bit more aggressive just because it is so concentrated in comparison to beer and wine um but beer comes from from wheat for the most part and so you're getting this weird double whammy of, of having a product that that comes from like a very highly processed um highly sprayed source so most wheat in particular if you live in north america is like super sprayed with chemicals so you're unless you're getting an organic beer you're getting that in there the other part too is that um to have large amounts of beer can also um the carb piece is one piece but the um kind of added estrogens that come along for the ride there are not you know ideal um for for training as well so there's a lot to unpack with a beer and then on the other 
the third flip side of, of what I'm thinking here is the the yeasts of, of beer and wine are also right um, in my field. I work a lot in, in gut health and a lot in kind of um, microbial balance and that, that excess of, of yeast in particular in beer, but also to a lesser extent in wine um, can work against people in some ways too. So uh, a lot to unpack there, but um, we can, we can chat about that another time. So do I need to, do I need to change from uh you know uh, chips and salsa crackers and cheese french mm. bread and cheese do I really need to change to pumpkin seeds and you know <laughs> flax seeds and almonds yeah it just you know it just doesn't seem like it's worth living i mean but it, it would it really help a lot or i mean how bad are the carbs how bad is the cheese and all that stuff i've always Wonder because you know something like the French, okay? Yeah. The French have the most centennials. Most people who live to a hundred. I'm sure you know that in the world they live the longest, and they're drinking since they're four, three. Yep. You know, I, I, think, I think I think the moms give their babies eyedroppers full of wine to shut them up. So I mean, what's yeah. the deal on that? Oh my gosh, um, the the whole kind of a centarian debate i've been to one of the blue zones by the way i've been to Ikaria in greece and i've met people who are in their 80s and 90s and still walking every day and yeah, I i've spent that, a ton of time over in uh, the south of france uh, you yeah. know years and years yeah yeah and i mean it's we have to remember that they do drink alcohol but the they're kind of healthy in spite of that and if you've ever had their alcohol it's very different than what we have here in the sense where there's there's very little spray kind of going on there's not a lot of added sulfites it's, it's a little bit more of a natural product but um they're kind of healthy in spite of it because there's so much going for them in the sense of um food supply if you've tasted the food there it, i mean it, it tastes a little bit different it's it's very fresh there's not a lot of packaging there's, there's no well there's no gmos the they don't they don't there's allow none. gmos over i know there. And right. it's the mindset, right? So if you sit down to a dinner, you're sitting there for four hours, you're not opening your phone, you're not sitting on a laptop, you're, you're very present, and you have the sense of community that also really supports, um, you know, long term health. And so when you meet people who are in their 80s and 90s there, I mean, they're not isolated, they're, they're connected they're they're still a very much so. part of the community very and we don't so. have that here so i think that's that's one of the other things that we forget about with that paradox is i mean if you've ever spent time in the south of, of europe at all um it can be frustrating for a north american who's wondering why everything closes at 3 p.m or why they say well like well you can come today or tomorrow or you know <laughs> yeah you know, dinner dinner starts at nine i'm like yeah. huh what nine yeah. i'm asleep by nine what are you out of your mind i mean yeah. it seems like eating that late would be terrible for you i know and that's a weird paradox too because i mean in north america we, we talk a lot about sleep and, and i'm a huge um, fan of getting enough sleep it, it changes everything uh but they also sleep a lot in the afternoon right so they kind of get this yes. this this shift in in their rhythms but the sleep piece is still very important to them they just sleep at slightly different hours um but there's yeah a lot to unpack about that lifestyle that I mean, one day I'd like to go and live that lifestyle a little bit longer, just because it is—it's very relaxing. <laughs> yeah, no, I've spent months at a time. Uh, I'd say that's uh, about uh, exactly twenty-five years. I spend one to two months there every year for twenty-five oh my years. Gosh. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cool situation, but yeah, I mean, lunch is at two two thirty. Yeah. Uh, they sleep later than we do. Yep. They sleep later than we do. I'm a real um, early to bed, early to rise guy. And I always thought that was the healthiest, but not over there. No, over yeah, there, you finish dinner around 945, 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And then you always have a little chocolate, dark chocolate, yeah. and um, sometimes an aperitif, 
you know, um, yeah. they call it a digestive, but yeah. it's just, it's, it's just, just more booze. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then they, they talk you, yeah, I love my friend, my friends over there, but um, you know, uh, they talk your ear off till about midnight. Mm-hmm. And then I go to my little bed and breakfast and yeah, and they get up at nine and I'm on the court at nine o'clock the next day. So it's kind of unfair. They get a real slow start. My, you know, I work with their kids, so they get okay. a slow start, but their kids are up early. So I, I, I sort of get the brunt of it all. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I could talk about that lifestyle forever. Yeah. Well, let's ask, I, I'm going to let you go soon, but I have so many carbs, questions, right? And I don't even question? have one written down here, but as long as we're on it, let's talk about dark chocolate and red wine. I mean, isn't that good for me? I, I, I eat it like it's nutrition. Um, oh my gosh. I, I just sound like the bearer of all, all that bad news. I love dark chocolate. It's my favorite food in the entire world. And I, I make a yep, joke with I'm, my partner I'm with that you. he knows, he knows that if I had to choose between him and dark chocolate, I would pause for a second because dark chocolate <laughs> is my favorite food. Um, there unfortunately has been some new research that shows that um, a lot of dark chocolate tests high in lead, which kind of sucks because it just, what? It's a, I know because uh, dark chocolate or chocolate is so rich in minerals. It's such a mineral rich uh, plant that it is really effective of pulling minerals from the soil. So when you get dark chocolate, you're getting a lot of copper, you're getting magnesium, you're getting a little bit of iron in there, you're getting all of these really nutritious things. Um, but unfortunately, depending on where that plant is growing, apparently uh, it's really good at soaking up lead and cadmium because it, it's similar in shape to some of those minerals. So some of the dark chocolate has been tested high for that lately, which is breaking my heart. So in moderation. Um, but dark chocolate can be, you know, a, a nice treat now and again. And if you're getting a really good quality, like bean to bar is the, the, um, the kind of word to look for of like a, a small, um, plantation where people are being supported. And then that chocolate is being ground in a very particular way. Uh, and then they're only adding a little bit of, of cane sugar to it. They're not adding these emulsifiers and stuff that really just throws all the benefits out the window. Uh, I mean, you are getting, certain polyphenols and antioxidants in dark chocolate. Right. Um, but once again, if you're eating a chocolate bar a day, uh, I mean, it, it's still not going to be that great for you, right? Because you're just getting- no, I'm talking real eating. good dark chocolate. I'm talking 72% cacao. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm talking. Oh, and yeah. you're and saying then, that's okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a few pieces. I have no qualms about that. Um, but I highly recommend if you've never tried a bean to bar style of, of chocolate, that type of making- um, is very different than just going out and buying, you know, your your grocery store dark. What's chocolate. it called again? What's it called? Bean to bar. Bean to bar. Bean to bar, and so there are small makers around the world that do amazing things with cacao, and they're um, really good at picking good quality cacao from from kind of certain regions and then making it with very few ingredients instead of what you find uh, in the grocery stores and in the drug stores. So that would be something you get different flavors. It kind of tastes like drinking um, like wine or scotch when you have different profiles, depending on how it's been made. Um, it's like that when you, when you get a good quality piece of dark chocolate. So highly recommend. Um, but when it comes to wine, I do have to debunk the whole resveratrol thing of, you know, it's heart healthy because there's resveratrol in it, that potent antioxidant that everyone talks about for heart health. Um, to get like the therapeutic dose from a glass of wine, you'd have to drink many, 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 many bottles. Now um, you're so talking. don't do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but then the alcohol would negate that effect, right? So um, it, it's not as, as heart healthy as we once thought for that reason. I think uh, coming back to the, the French paradox and to like the 
um, the paradox of those blue zones of where people are living really long, um, I think it's a lot to do with the social aspect. But, um, you know, if you are choosing a drink, organic, um, no sulfite added is definitely the better way to go just because you aren't getting the the, the chemicals alongside it and you're just getting a, a quality product. Yeah, you know, I'm a big believer that stress will kill you. So I think- oh, yeah. Yeah, I really think that the wine and the cheese and the chit chat and everything else and having a nice social life and having lots of friends, I always think, well, that's a good way, if nothing else, to live a nice life, but also maybe even to live a healthier and a longer life. Because stress, I always thought would kill you as bad as bad nutrition or anything else, really. Yeah. And that's that's where the red wine comes in, because it do you de-stress, you have a little chit chat with your wife or your boyfriend or your friends, and it's sort of part of the whole thing, but... Yeah, it definitely can be part of that that social aspect. I mean, it's benefits for sleep. We can chat about that another day too. It's not. Yeah, I was gonna. It's funny. I had sleep down, but we're not gonna be able to cover because yeah, sleep. We could do a whole hour on sleep. Honestly, sleep is one of my favorite things to talk about at the moment. I found that just through through the last few years, people's sleep has really gone off. Um, and oh, for it's athletes, terrible because of the phone. You know, I mean, I literally have to turn that phone off. If I don't, I'm like, yeah. gee, I wonder what's happening. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've put in a rule in the last few years for myself that um, usually around half an hour, 45 minutes before bed, um, that goes off. I, 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 I'm I learning a language on my phone at the moment. So I, I, mm -hmm. I will try and do that earlier so I can shut it off. Um, but I'll turn that off at night. I mean, if you need to contact me, you can find other ways. And right, then I will call in, you after midnight, promise. No, it's it's 9 p.m. That turns off at least sometimes even eight. But the uh -huh. goal is to not turn that on until I've made my morning cup of coffee, had my water, done my morning routine. And then, um, you know, after all that said and done, then I can turn I'm it gonna on. I'm going to start doing that because that's a Honestly, good idea. Yeah. Life-changing. Yeah, I usually get up and the very first thing I do in bed is look at my phone, start to chat around. Yeah. And just to briefly touch on on sleep for that, um, what you do first thing in the morning actually affects how you sleep that night because your circadian rhythms are are set throughout the day. It's not just what you do right before bed. It's actually what you do first thing in the morning. So that morning oh. light that you see can actually help to set your circadian rhythms at night. So if you're seeing that kind of blue light on your phone in the morning, um, that blue light does deplete or kind of change how much melatonin you secrete. So not doing that in bed is one thing and getting some light outside, I'm, I'm pointing to my window, um, mm -hmm. getting outside and just staring outside for a few minutes, even five, 10 minutes can be helpful. Uh, but also the stress factor coming back mm. to stress. I mean, you opening up your phone and seeing the disasters of the world first thing in the morning, right? Um, right. You know, it, it spikes your cortisol. It stresses you out more than you need to be first thing in the morning. Instead of having that nice, gentle kind of rise in in your normal waking cortisol to kind of wake you up and stimulate you and, and get you going, you've got these like, I've got seven emails to respond to. Right. Um, my news alarm is telling me that the world's on fire, and uh, you know now I've got to go start my day, but I'm I'm stressed. So that changes yeah. everything. That's funny you say that because, yeah, I'm always so proud of it, right? I mean, I, I sometimes tell my wife, I go, man, I got more done, you know, lying here in bed the first 45 minutes of the day than half my friends do in a week, you know, and I'm so proud of it. But you're saying that's not a, such a great thing. And I should, I, so I will, I'm going to try, uh, I'll make a conscious effort to uh, sort of change that around because that is a big deal for me getting yeah. up in the morning. I get a lot done lying in bed. I, I might usually take my phone from hundred percent to about 30 and then wow. I get up and get, yeah. And then I get up and get do my coffee, have my coffee and all oh. that after. 
So you're saying if I switch that, I could see a big difference. Yeah, I would challenge you to try that just because, um, I mean, that morning routine that you have does set you up for the rest of your day. And it sounds like you're super, you, you're super productive in that morning time. Um, I'm, I'm pretty productive. I try to be all day, but yeah, yeah. I, gr- I grind as we say in tennis, I grind. Yeah. But you could also think about it from the mindset perspective, in particular in athletics, of being very um, present and focused. And I find that that phone first thing in the morning takes takes away from that. And then you end up just checking your phone for the rest of the day and having this response of, of constantly checking. Whereas if you were to have that kind of grounding routine and, oh, my God, if you want to talk about um, the mindset in athletics and how important that is, um, that that morning piece can be part of that Zen kind of you can call it whatever you want to call it something super hippie you can or just focus in the morning of being present and and just being aware that you're waking up and you're alive and you're you're making your coffee and you're doing that and then you sit down and with presence do the next activity i find really sets your day up in a different way than when you're just scrolling through your phone in the morning so yeah just a i wish yeah, I wish i was back in my hippie days sometimes you know for like 20 years from 20 to about 40 maybe 20 to 45 almost ate no meat, drank nothing at all, did yoga literally seven days a week. Every morning I'd do yoga and then I'd meditate, do TM. Then I'd have my smoothie, but man, I'm just too busy now. I can't, I mean, you know, just, <laughs> I just Your can't Your friends see in the South of France will not approve of you being just saying you're too busy, would they? That's, that's true. That's <laughs> true. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to be hitting the islands here soon enough. So I'm sure I'll bring it down a little bit. But like I said, I've got so many, and like I said, I really want to talk about sleep, but next time, please give me a next time, because this is really fun. Um, I will ask one question on behalf, uh, since we did talk hydration, on behalf of my good friends, uh, my South African friends, Mm. John Eagleton and Johan out there, um, they have this drink called Red Joe, which I just ordered uh, their, you know, their recommendation. It's a powder. It's from a root I guess, over in South Africa. Cool. And it's supposed to be the best thing for hydration. Have you ever heard of Red Joe? Red Joe? I mean, no, you've given me some homework. And my my rule always, just because I, I teach for part of my job, when people ask me things and I don't know the answer, I have to go and do my homework. So uh, please send me more about that because I've never heard of, of this before. Yeah, Red I'm Joe. Sure. Um, let's see. It's uh... Herbs are amazing, honestly. It says the ultimate hydration supplement, and it's from the rubus, the rubos plant. Oh, rubus, yeah. R o o i b o s. Yes. So you've heard of that? Rubus, yes. It's um, it's a plant that's commonly used as tea. Um, That's right. You'll find rubus tea everywhere. Um, but there's quite a few polyphenols and antioxidants in rooibos. I've never looked at the the nutritional components as far as like the the um, the mineral part goes. But yeah, now I'll be getting it soon, so yeah. I'll see how it works for me. Let me know. But these guys swear by this stuff. That's cool. But anyway, Sydney, it has been such a pleasure. I mean, really, I learned so much. I feel like I should send you Venmo you later and all my <laughs> clients should Venmo you because you've done a great job, but you're going to be a partner. You're a partner of ours now and they can reach you through our site, brodytennis.com. They can find you. Um, please feel free to give a shameless plug now. Uh, anything you want, <laughs> anything you want to plug. 
For sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast chatting about this stuff. I mean, uh, if you can't tell, I love I love teaching and I love to to share information because I think everyone everyone should have access to this and everyone should know more about how they can perform better and how they can feel better day in and day out. So a big part of what I do is working with people one on one to do this type of work and to share um, step by step kind of plans to make make change in a way that makes sense and that that's easy to apply for people. And I also do quite a bit of teaching. So I do this in larger groups as well, but my goal and my shameless plug is uh, I just want to teach. So if you want to learn more, I mean, I'd love to share because I truly believe everyone feels better when they know a little bit more about, about themselves. Yeah, that's great. We, your phone number, your email, all that stuff's on the site, uh, on the partners page. And uh, we'll do this again, uh, hopefully soon. And we'll both be in good health all winter long, I hope. (laughs) And we'll be seeing you on The Real Spin in a few weeks. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Well, thanks so much, Sydney. I really, really appreciate your time. No worries. I enjoyed being here. Yeah, likewise.